You're listening to Thrive, where every week we have meaningful conversations with incredible women like you, packed with practical tips and sisterly advice to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday gal who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. I'm your host, Erica Gwynn, and I'm ready to thrive together. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Thrive. Losing both breasts and your stomach can be hard to digest, pun intended, but Catherine did it with grace and gumption, and she's here on Thrive to share her incredible story as a bright light of encouragement for anyone in the throes of discouragement, especially after life-changing diagnoses. She's now had both a gastrectomy and double mastectomy, so today's episode features both her medical and spiritual journey so far, with lots of laughs and powerful prayer along the way. We hope it inspires and uplifts you while reminding you that no matter what you're personally facing, he has not forsaken you and he never will. Stay tuned through this episode. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now welcome, Catherine. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Thrive. I'm so, so, so happy to be connecting because I know you are girlfriends with my girl, Sarah, who works behind the scenes with me here on Team Thrive. And the second she shared your story to me, we were both like, oh my gosh, get her on the show. Oh my gosh. Uh, That's so kind. Thank you. From what I've heard, you're just like such a ray of light and have a really powerful perspective, which we love to see and support. And you have quite the story to share (laughs) and the life experience thus far. Uh, Because over the past, what, two-ish years, you've had your entire stomach and both breasts removed because of a genetic mutation that causes rare and aggressive types of cancer. So that's like a gastrectomy, a double mastectomy, Mm -hmm, and that all feels mm -hmm. pretty hard to digest. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yes, that's actually the name of my blog, Hard to Digest. I was like, I can make that joke because it's the name of your blog. Yes, yes. I say it's a lot to stomach. Um, so, um, yeah, it, um, life has changed since Sarah and I met in high school, um, uh, forever ago. Um, but yeah, so my kind of genetic journey, um, started in 2018. Um, my dad's sister, Um, went to get genetic testing. So my paternal grandmother and great grandmother and great uncle all died really young in life. So my aunt was just kind of curious to see if there were genetic discrepancies or predispositions that we should be aware of. Um, And we were not expecting it to come back um, with a CDH1 mutation. Um, So a CDH1 gene, everyone has one. Um, When it's working properly, it's this beautiful little gene that builds protein in your body and it helps your cells stick together. And like, I'd pretend to know more, but like, I mean, I'm not a doctor, um, although I have seen a lot of Grey's Anatomy. So um, there actually is a Grey's Anatomy episode about CDH1. So if you're curious, season five, episode 17. Um, But um, if you have a genetic mutation to your CDH1 gene, it puts you um, at an elevated risk for a type of cancer called hereditary diffuse gastric cancer. 
And then if you're a woman and you have the mutation, it also puts you at an elevated risk for lobular breast cancer. Um, and when I say elevated risk, it's 80% for gastric cancer, 50% for lobular breast cancer. So like the odds are not in your favor. <laughs> um, so we all got tested. Um, by 2019, everyone um, on my dad's side of the family got tested and there were five of us. It was my aunt, my dad, their older brother, one of my male cousins, and then me. Um, so we were the chosen ones. Um, and we joined a study um, at the National Institutes of Health, which is up in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, they're studying this gene, how it works, how it is killing people, like, and kind of like if there's anything that can be done to like stop the triggering process. Because um, what's really almost impossible about hereditary diffuse gastric cancer is it's really hard to detect in the early stages because it starts as like a tiny little spot and then it burrows into your stomach lining. So the doctors could be looking at your stomach and they would see a healthy stomach because it's not until it's in its late stages that it's detectable. And at that point, you have a 5% survival rate. So holy moly. I know. <laughs> like they, these are not like good odds to be like facing. And you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> so the recommendation is to have a total gastectomy. Um, and when I was talking with NIH, um, the chief oncologist up there, Dr. Jeremy Davis, he's great. He's wonderful. I love him. He's a brilliant man. Um, I was like, look, like my dad is in his sixties. Nothing has happened to him. Like, why can't I live my life? And then if this, you know, if I just can't deal with the worry, like I'll have it done in my sixties. And he was like, your body, your choice. And I was like, well, don't sugarcoat it for me. And he was like, okay. He was like, typically this progresses in your thirties. So if it progresses, just know that we cannot catch it. We cannot cure it and you will die. And I was like, well, you didn't have to hurt my feelings. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, like, um, let's go back to the sugar coat. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, so let's like schedule surgery for tomorrow. Um, and I was just like on board. I was like, you know what? Like, I am not living under this fear. I'm not living with like the threat of this. Like I can live without a stomach, take it out. Because the the philosophy is if you don't have a stomach, you can't have stomach cancer. So if you take away what the gene attacks, then, then you're basically removing any potential of um, disaster. So my surgery kept getting pushed because of COVID. <laughs> and um, I went August 31st, 2020 um, to NIH by myself because we were still under COVID protocol. So I could not have my mom, I could not have a friend, I had no visitors and like, I used to live in DC. So I was like, um, oh, I have all of these people who can come visit me. And then it was like, no, you can't. <laughs> like no one could come in. It was just me, the nurses and the doctors. And, you know, I mean, 
nurses are amazing and they don't get enough credit and they are the backbone of hospitals, but they also are taking care of the whole floor. And so, you know, it's just, you have to wait your turn. And there's just something about having like a family member to be like, can you go get me ice or can I get a warm blanket? And um, so it was hard doing it alone. And I had a tough time in the hospital. I was allergic to this and that. I had a problem with my epidural. Like I worked those doctors so hard and I was just like, oh, I really want my mommy, like just really desperate. But um, I was there for about nine days and then was able to go home. And because it was COVID, I was able to go home to Tennessee for about eight weeks and my parents were able to take care of me. So um, that was a, a blessing for it being in the midst of COVID. Um, it all kind of became worth it at four weeks and um, because I got my pathology report and my pathology showed I had 12 spots of stage 1a cancer whoa I know I know so I just got goosebumps <laughs> I know isn't that crazy and um you know it, it every time that even still like if I have like a, a bad eating day I'm like I'm here I'm breathing I'm existing like I could have been totally taken out by this um so I know that it like it saved my life for sure 100 percent Wow. Dude, that's crazy. Okay. I have to ask the question that like, everybody's probably immediately thinking when you say you had to have your stomach removed. <laughs> yes. How do you eat? Like, I know. That's yes. such, that feels so ignorant. No, no. The question is like, where does food go and how does this work? <laughs> right? No, it's not a dumb question. It was one of my first questions to the NIH team. Um, we are fortunate, those of us in the NIH study, we have a clinical dietitian that works with us. She was an angel on earth. Her name is Rachel. And she was like, look, if you follow my rules, if you follow my instructions, you'll be fine. And I was like, excellent. I'm a rule follower that I was made for this. <laughs> um, so, okay. So they removed the stomach, they removed the organ and they reconnected the esophagus, which goes straight down from your throat. And they pulled my small intestine up to meet it. So it goes esophagus straight to small intestine. So it's this one, like basically fluid line. Um, and so I have the space that the esophagus to the small intestine, um, where they meet um, to fill up with food. So I eat very small meals. Um, and like, you know, think of it like this, your stomach, like is, is working on commission, right? Like your stomach wants to make you happy. Like you want that extra dessert. Your stomach is like, heck yes, let's go for it. I'm here for it. I will stretch and I will move and we will fill it up. And your small intestine is salary. It's like, I'm here, I'm doing my job and I'm not moving an inch. Like I'm like nine to five, see you guys later. I'm taking my PTO. So um, over time, the small intestine will stretch a tiny bit. So I'm able to eat more now, two years post-op than I was two weeks post-op. Um, but I concentrate heavy on protein, low carb, um, high fat, 
not a lot of um, natural sugar or added sugar. It causes something called dumping syndrome, which um, creates like your whole body goes, or the reaction I have is um, I get incredibly like hot and sweaty and just like miserable and want to curl up in the fetal position. So, you know, you eat enough sugar and you're like, oh, this is a bad reaction. I'm going to stop doing this to my body. Um, But then like this Sunday, I was walking through the grocery store and there were these like butter toffee ice cream bars. And I was like, I was like, I'm making the active choice to make myself miserable. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Like worth it. And it was, let me tell you, it totally was, but for the most part, like, you know, it's just making, like looking at food in a medicinal way instead of in like a, a pleasure seeking way. Um, but I think of it as a game, like how much protein, cause I get about hundred grams of protein a day. How much protein can I get in my limited amount of space? So you know, you have to make the best of everything, but, um, it's, it's been a wild ride and six months I was like, okay, like I can do this. And then at 12 months, I was like, I got this. Like I went hiking with some girlfriends. We went to Scottsdale, one of my favorite places. We did Camelback mountain. Like we did like half of Camelback, like tell the truth, shame the devil. Like we did half, but like, I would have only done half, like if I had a stomach, you know what I mean? (laughs) So like, I mean, um, you know, and then I was approaching my two year, um, anniversary and I was like, I've got this, like, I've totally got this. And then that's when I got hit with, okay, it's time for your double mastectomy. You're like, that's so cool. I love that for me. I love this journey. Right. Um, So uh, I'm sorry if there's any gentlemen listening, I'm about to really talk about my breast. We're going to talk about boobs. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Um, So I was getting um, annual MRIs. I was getting my high um, powered mammograms. Ladies, get your mammograms. Start early, start early, do self um, exams, like just do it. Um, And all of my tests came back fine, normal, um, except I had this one spot on my right breast and the doctors all said, you know, it's fine. Like it's probably just like calcified oil ducts. Um, it's probably nothing. It's just like dense breast tissue. And I was like, probably, but I was like, I can't let this go. Like something in me was like, I just can't let this go. And so I went in, um, August 9th, 2022 for just my annual, um, uh, checkup with my gynecologist. And I was talking to her about it. I was like, Hey, like, I know we're about to do the mammogram, but can you just feel it for me? And just, I don't know, like reassure me. And she was like, (laughs) she gave me some tough love. She was like, what's standing between you and the mastectomy? And I was like, we've had this conversation. Like I'm as single as a Pringle. Like I want to have kids. I want to, you know, be able to breastfeed and enjoy that experience. And, and I also like want to be making these decisions with a partner. Like I'm, these are big decisions. And like, can we do this? Like in my forties after I've kind of like gotten to experience some of this. And she was like, 
you know, like you need to do this now. And something about like her saying that I was like, you know, she's confirming what I already know in my heart. And that was challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's almost like I made the decision and then it was like, all right, go time. So that appointment was on August 9th and by October 11th, I was in the operating room. Whoa. Yeah. No, no time to waste. <laughs> no, no time to second guess that one. Yeah. You're like, like off with your boobs. Let's yeah, go. Exactly. Very much so. Um, so just kind of I, for anyone unfamiliar with the mastectomy process. Um, so you have a breast surgeon and then you have a plastic surgeon. Um, and so the breast surgeon comes in and um, takes off all of the breast tissue from about under your collarbone down and then over under your arm um, and down. I was able to keep my lymph nodes. Um, yay, small victory. But um, so she, uh, my breast surgeon took everything off and then the plastic surgeon comes in and he like made sense of all of the, the carnage basically. Like he, he made me whole. Um, but like, I didn't realize that there were so many decisions to be made about reconstruction. So you can do immediate versus delayed. You can do direct implant or get expanders. So basically what that means is, do you leave the surgery with your permanent implants or do you get like temporary implants that they fill up um, so that you can get to a larger size and you can kind of guarantee symmetry? it gives your skin like time to heal and rest. Um, do you do, do you just stay flat? Do you do a fat transfer? Do you do under the muscle? Do you do over the muscle? And then the question that I, as a 34 year old woman, never thought that I would hear, do you want to keep your nipples? I was like, (laughs) I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, like, how do I answer that? How do I answer that? Because they possess 3% breast tissue. So by leaving them, you leave a 3% risk. And it's like, (laughs) like, how do I make these decisions? Like literally Lord, like, how do I make these decisions? And if any of you feel, did you feel kind of silly for being like, Jesus, help me. Do I keep my nipples? Yes. Yes. I'm like, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And I'm like, God, do I keep my nipples? Do I keep my nipples? (laughs) This is my prayer. Right. Like, you know, and you're just on your face before God and you're like, Lord, I have no idea what to do. Um, but, um, I ended up doing direct to implant, um, immediate reconstruction over the muscle, and I kept my nipple. I kept the 3% risk. I was like, I got to have a win, Lord. I got to have a win. <laughs> like, So had the surgery. It was a, a surgery went fine. It was, it was fine. The recovery was excruciating. The recovery for the mastectomy was harder than the recovery for the gastrectomy. I think because it was so, so personal, so visible, so emotional. Um, I was in a lot of physical pain, but I was in a lot of just emotional pain of like, 
I just, my soul was tired. And then I had a horrible allergic reaction to an antibiotic. And so I had whelps all down my, literally had to go to the emergency room because my skin was like in such whelp. I was like, I am Job. I have boils. I am like, this is just terrible. I was like, Lord, have you forsaken me? Um, but then my pathology report came my right breast. It was nothing. It was calcified oil ducts. It was just what the doctors had said on my left breast. The one that I thought was perfectly fine. And that we were just getting rid of, there was a benign tumor in my lobulas, which is where CDH1 affects. It had never been detected on any MRI on any ultrasound it was hiding. And so I'm like, Lord, you saved me. You got my attention and you showed me something hidden. Whoa. Goosebumps mm-hmm. round two. Let's go. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy that I've had to do this. And then, but you know, I'm almost six months post-op, which is, you know, uh, so wonderful. And last night, you know, I, I strapped on my, my double sports bra so that everybody say, stays in their assigned seat, you know, like keep your arms and legs inside the moving vehicle at all times. And, you know, went for a jog and it was pathetic and it was one mile, but six months ago I had to have help like opening a water bottle. Like I couldn't open the fridge by myself. So I'll take my pitiful little mile and uh... girl, that's a mile farther than I've run <laughs> in years. So. It was a jo- like, let's be again, tell the truth, shame the devil. It was a jog. <laughs> like it was a, I'm, I'm going a little faster than a walk, <laughs> but we did it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So through all of this, would you say your faith was shaken because obviously you're a woman of faith and have such an awesome perspective on this now, but I would love to hear what your spiritual journey was like, because I think especially after receiving a life-changing diagnosis or multiple life-changing diagnoses, (laughs) like man, enter the ring of fire. Like it can be such a roller coaster and each new element probably brings new feelings and new blessings and new stressings. And like, what do you do in those moments where maybe the enemy gets on your shoulder and is trying to whisper lies or instill fear or throw doubts into your brain. So would love to hear what that spiritual journey was like for you. And if you had or have kind of like an attack strategy in hand, because I'm sure there are moments of pain, like you said, physically and emotionally throughout this like ongoing healing journey that you're now on. Yeah. So, um, I really relate to Jacob in the Bible when he wrestles with God, um, because God touches his hip and for the rest of the days, you know, he, he walks with a hitch in his step, right? Like in Hebrews, it says that Jacob blessed Joseph's sons while leaning on his walking stick. So every day he was reminded of the time that he wrestled with God. And, um, for me, every bite, every sip of water, um, I am reminded of when I wrestled with God and of when I had to surrender that he is my Jehovah Jireh, that he is my provision. Um, and he is the source. Um, and I really, I want to speak to anyone who's feeling discouraged, who's feeling disappointed, who's feeling disappointed in their situation. 
Um, and if you're being really, really honest, you're disappointed in God. Um, it's really hard to admit. And um, maybe you feel like your story has been forgotten or God has abandoned you and that this is as good as it gets um, because I have been there. I have lived in agreement with discouragement. I have lived in agreement with the enemy that God was holding out on me. And by doing so, I was absolutely grieving the Holy Spirit. I was letting my feelings and not my faith guide me. And I was honestly right where Satan wanted me because Satan wants to keep us discouraged. He wants us to keep believing our feelings, but God, God wants us to believe that he is telling the truth. He's telling the truth when he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, the maker of the moon, the one who tells the waves how far they can come up onto shore. He teaches the eagle how to fly. Like, just let that set in. Like he has multiple, multiple thoughts about you every day that he is actively thinking and their thoughts for good and hope and for your future. And like, you might be listening and being like, hmm, so what? Like, like literally, how does that help me? Like, I am like moment to moment here. And like, I don't know how to exercise my faith. And I, again, right where you were and God has just been teaching me so much, especially just this year. And so I've got three points. I'd love to share three little attack strategies. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. First up, speak the name of Jesus. I know that this, you might feel a little silly, um, but audibly speak his name. Let his name roll off your tongue. We are commanded throughout the Bible to call out to him. And I love, I love when Jesus was walking on the water, like he was going to pass the disciples by, like he was just headed towards the other side, like taking the waterway express, like, oh, I, yeah, you know, I'm going to just go to the other side. And the gospel of John says that it was not until the disciples willingly invited Jesus aboard that he joined them. And then, then immediately they were on the other side. So invite him into your situation, invite him in, draw near to him and just see how quickly things change. Step two, get in the word. We hear this all the time because it works. It actually works. (laughs) Like the Bible is living and it is active. And if you ask God to lead you to a promise, if you ask him to speak to you through his word, if you ask him to open the eyes of your heart, he will breathe life into your situation. And like, I have a few verses that I like just constantly cling to, but I always go to second Timothy two thirteen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And like when you're feeling abandoned and alone, it is good to know that never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. And I love that. Um, all right. Still with me? <laughs> Let's go. Okay. Something I want to hop in for a second yes. and highlight something that you said, because yes, I feel like there's sometimes misconceptions mm-hmm. that if you are a Christian or yes. you 
you know, love God, whatever. And you pray that that means that all of a sudden your problems will just go away Mm, or like mm -hmm. that, that things will just like magically be removed or cancers will just magically disappear. And while it's absolutely true that miracles happen, we've, we see them, we hear about them. Sometimes that is the case, bless the Lord. Uh, sometimes it's not the case, but that doesn't mean that God's not working for you. And that doesn't mean that what you're going through is not going to bear fruit or that it's not going to be for your good or for the good at the end of the day. So I just want to like throw that encouragement in there too, for anybody who's like, yeah, but like, I still have my problems. Like, guess what girl we all do? Like, it's still, you still might have struggles in life. Actually, you will have struggles in life. Cause like God also tells us in scripture that you will have trials (laughs) that doesn't go away. So I think sometimes the encouragement can be that it's like your peace through the process, or it might be how you're thinking about it or how you're relating to other people or just other little things along the way that might make the struggle a little bit easier to bear, or that might make it, maybe it will, maybe it will actually miraculously impact the outcome or what you're experiencing in real time. But sometimes it's like other details along the way that were, that were maybe like the extraneous details you weren't necessarily thinking of, but like God was thinking of, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to throw you a bone here. And this is going to make it a little bit easier, or this is going to make it something that you even just like noticing, I think can be the gift, like noticing, oh my God, God is at work right, right here in this thing. God Mm -hmm. did this for me. And I mean, like I've experienced that personally myself where like, even that recognition can sometimes be the blessing where you're like, wow, the creator of the entire universe just like did this for me Mm -hmm. in this moment, because he knew that this was what I needed. And like, that's cool. So that's my little tangent. I love that. Yes. Yes. Which is a great segue into the third point of praise him. Praise is a command. We're actually commanded in the Bible more times to praise than we are to pray. And like, you might be thinking, just like you said, like, maybe I don't have anything to praise him for right now. Like maybe your situation has gotten so bad that you're just like, I, I cannot think of anything. And like, you're right. Like, I, I don't know your situation. Like, I don't know your hurt. I don't know your pain. But if you are a child of God, we can always thank him for the cross. And just like you were saying, like when you kneel on the word of God, like your circumstances may not instantly change, but the position of your heart will. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Catherine, I read something on your blog recently that was really golden too. And you said, I used to think I had to make it to the summit in order to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, like it says in in Psalms. Mm -hmm. And it's taken almost four years to realize that there's no greater goodness God can provide than a glimpse of his heart. And he has been teaching me how to look for him with every step of this journey. I mean, dang, that's like super powerful, (laughs) but I would love to hear what you have learned about his heart in this ongoing walk, because I think you're absolutely right that we oftentimes think we're going to kind of get to this place or like this final destination or like a summit, like you said, where all of a sudden we have the bigger picture and the beautiful view. And we're like, Oh, there it is. There's the promises. Um, but that's like, not, not how this works. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah. Tell us about what you've learned about God's heart through all of this. Yeah. So, I mean, the amazing thing about God is we can study him forever and, um, and never even touch the surface of who he is. Um, but I really, one of the things that I have been learning is, um, 
I was looking for God's works. I was looking to see what he was going to do in my life. And instead, I needed to look for his ways is instead of just seeing what God is going to do for me, um, enjoying that God is with me. And for me, um, it makes all the difference. And like, you know, I'm sitting here without a stomach, without my natural breasts, my circumstance honestly, like has not changed. And in some ways, like it's gotten worse. Like, you know, there are still things that I am really seeking God for and asking him for, and he hasn't, it is, it hasn't been his time yet. Um, but I have never loved him more. I have never just been in awe of his glory more. Um, uh, I had to like get on my knees and just tell him, like, show me your glory, Lord, like, show me your glory. Like, will you just, if, if nothing else is going to change, then I, I need to change and I need you to change my heart. And I need you to open the eyes of my heart so that I can see you in such a brilliant way that nothing else compares. And I think God loves to answer prayers like that. And he has shown up for me in ways that are indescribable. And, and the fact that I can go to him and he will answer me and it might not be the answer I want, and it might not be in the time that I want, but he does answer us and we are his beloved. And that is so precious to me. Yeah. I love that. Well, and getting everything wrapped up too. Um, curious your answer to this question, because it's something we ask everybody to close out the show and that's <laughs> what does thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Thriving honestly is, um, is walking in the spirit that's thriving to me. What greater joy, what greater thrive than to live in the abundance of the Holy Spirit that we're given. Yeah, I love that. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us all. Like, wow, so much power in all of it and in your testimony, of course. Um, can you tell everyone where they can find you online to connect with you more, chat with you more, get advice if people are in need or anything like that? Yes, of course. If you want to find me on Instagram, you know, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's me, Catherine Lee, um, is my handle. I would love to chat with anybody who has questions about Jesus, or you just want to talk about your faith or what you're going through, or I would love to pray for you. Um, my blog, which, um, if you're curious about eating without a stomach, um, it's, hard to digest, um, dot org, um, a little hyphenation between every word. Um, but yeah, would love to chat. would love to connect. I'm a long talker. So be ready. If you connect with me, I will use a lot of words. <laughs> Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of thrive, drop five stars on your way out. If you like what you just listened to, and come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.